Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I. C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And today we're going to be uh, continuing with our team previews. We're going into the double digits. We start out with the last triple digits at 100 and go into number 91. But we did get a question this week on the Twitter, uh, Nick, about the uh, stat projections. Our guy, uh, Scott Robertson, had a question for us, particularly about WKU, because you had different wide receivers in your uh, statistical projections than a lot of people think are going to be the number one and number two guys at WKU. Uh, You know, a lot of rosters at this point in the season have uh, turnover. There's a lot of guys fighting for jobs right now. So, um, you know, I I got an answer from you uh, in DMs and stuff, but I think it'd be good to uh, talk about your projections here a little bit and answer the question on the air as well. So, what do you think about WKU and the receiver situation there this season? Yeah, absolutely. And and if anybody ever has a question, uh, reach out anytime, please. You know, want to make sure that uh, these things that we uh, provide are as useful as possible. And and sometimes things you know make perfect sense to me in my mind and how I use it, and it doesn't always translate. Um, you know, to somebody else who might be seeing it for the first time or might not know the, the decision-making process behind it or what have you. But um, for this question specifically, and kind of use it as a little bit of an example um, for anybody who, you know, might have looked briefly at the stat projections and, and had a similar uh, question, we set up basically the same template for every team. And, uh, you know, we go through, give the past three years history for uh, the team itself, the head coach specifically, and the play caller specifically on both offense uh, and defense. And Western Kentucky, you know, for folks out there playing CFF and uh, DFS, uh, is certainly, you know, a team that is of interest. And specifically the question related to uh, wide receivers, as you mentioned, because, you know, they're going to have to replace a uh, record-setting uh, wide receiver in Jareth Stearns and, you know, who's going to be the guy to take over that role. We expect the offense, you know, to look very similar, uh, even though they did change offensive coordinators, they do have, uh, you know, promoted from within. So do, are expecting some similar, um, at least opportunities for wide receivers. And uh, the question related to, you know, there are a lot of, of CFF experts and, uh, you know, folks out there doing drafts and, and things like that. It, it seems that Malachi Corley is sort of the, you know, mo- who most people seem to expect to be the wide receiver number one there, the most productive role uh, there. And I don't, you know, I don't wildly disagree, but I think that's actually kind of a, uh, you know, co- uh, uh, there's sort of three main favorites who I think could end up in that role. Corley is one of those. I also think that David Davis, a returning starter and Jalen Hall uh, transfer coming from uh, Western Michigan are definitely in the mix there to the point where I actually uh, gave Davis and Hall a, a slight lead in, in my own uh, depth chart projections. And so those are the two who are listed in our, uh, stat projections. Unfortunately, you know, uh, for an offense like 
WKU and a few others out there, you know, it it would be nice to say, okay, this is what, you know, wide receiver three or maybe even wide receiver four uh, might project to be because those guys might, you know, have some value. But I guess wrapping it up and, and sort of in short, uh, the names in our stat projections, believe it or not, actually don't matter all that much. So if you're looking at the Western Kentucky page and, you know, I input uh, Daywood Davis to be that wide receiver number one, he's projected, uh, you know, 98 receptions, 1,200 yards, uh, 10 and a half touchdowns. That's going to be elite level production for that position. And the wide receiver number two, who I you know have as Jalen Hall, uh, pretty similar numbers, at least similar you know point totals. If we're looking at uh, half point per, per reception or, or full point uh, per reception, but you could insert anybody in that role. It's just the top. Uh, you know, most productive receiver when we're looking at, you know, again, the team, the head coach and the offensive coordinator history from the last three years, do weighted averages and, and things like that. Based on those usage percentages, uh, that's just where the number one receiver, you know, what the, the formula spits out, what the number two receiver spits out. Um, so it might be Corley. It might be David Davis. I've you know, heard something that uh, Michael Matheson transfer from Akron is actually in the mix as well. So if you're, you know, doing a draft, if you're uh, looking for, um, you know, just looking to get ahead a uh, this year and, and looking into to those roles, you could insert whoever your best bet or whoever you're projecting to be that top receiver um, into that wide receiver number one role it just happens for that stat projection uh database that you know we do uh, do put names in there and they are the names that more or less uh correlate with our fbs team profiles um but you know we don't always agree with everybody else out there as to who the uh you know what the pecking order is um but you know hopefully this makes sense hopefully that it answered the question a little bit or, or gives some uh you know, guidelines to anybody who has a similar idea, uh, similar question, but the names themselves in that particular database don't matter as much as the numbers, if that makes sense. You can kind of pick and choose your own, um, what you think the pecking order will be. It's all just totally based on past output, past performance for that particular role. I think it's a good mindset to have kind of like, you know, thinking of, okay, what would a number one in this offense get? What would a number two in this offense get? So you have a baseline. Obviously, the numbers are never going to be perfect when you look at it at the end of the year. And that goes to the talent of the player. Is the player the player's going to see probably a, you know, standardized amount of targets. Obviously it's going to be higher or lower based on how good they play on the field from a week to week basis. But if you say, okay, this is a number I'm looking at them getting. And obviously, you know, their play is going to dictate this injury is going to dictate this, you know, injury to the quarterback, you know, so there's more specifically with wide receivers, there's more to factor in uh, to those uh, processes, but it, it's a nice blueprint of what this offense should do. So um, it's, it's a very good place to get you started. So uh, I love it. And I love the explanation. A very good question from our guy, Scott, as well. So uh, Xavier, you're just hanging out right now. How you doing, man? How's the, uh, how's the summer treating you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm great. Uh, we've got, I mean, 
yes, we've got this going on. College football never ceases to amaze me how much it stays in the eyes and on the mouths of all media members. Every year it's like, yeah, it's going to get quiet at some point, and it never does. Nope. And here we are, another offseason where we thought, you know, it was going to be quiet. It was, it was going to be pretty docile until fall camp. Couldn't be more, farther from the truth. Uh, it's been all mega conference talk. And what does Saban think about it? What does every coach think about it? Uh, NIL deals are in full effect. Um, you know, a lot of recruiting going on right now. Uh, yeah, there is, like Nick said, there's only preseason, never the offseason, because we're always on here. But um, let's dive in on these team previews. And we start with the last triple digit team at number 100, Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan lost to Liberty 56-20 in the Lending Tree Bowl last season, the third loss in their last four games. They finished 7-6 and six overall. They played seven one-possession games, winning three of them. DK's win total is 6.5. We've got them for 6-6. Six and six. So, like we said, we are going to have some unders today. This is the first one. And Eastern Michigan has slowly improved under head coach uh, Chris Creighton, who took over one of the worst FBS programs in the country nine years ago. With a strong offense and a favorable schedule, can the Eagles make a run maybe in the MAC West here? What do we think about them for 2022? I think there's a lot to like uh, about the offense for sure. Um, you know, they, they do have a new quarterback, Ben Bryant. Uh, who somewhat surprisingly won the role last year over Peyton Hutchinson. Both of those uh, guys actually transferred out Hutchinson first, and then Bryant went back to Cincinnati where he'll be uh, competing for the starting job there. But they bring in, uh, you know, another pretty highly regarded transfer, Tyler Powell, um, who spent the most, uh, excuse me, spent, the, spent last year at Troy, but originally uh, was at Missouri. And, you know, assuming he comes in and, and um, gives a, you know, a solid performance at that position, doesn't do, you know, things to uh, put Eastern Michigan in, in bad spots or turn the ball over. I think there's enough as far as offensive skill positions uh, specifically. And, you know, they've actually also got uh, a, a pretty decent core on the offensive line as well. Yeah, I think this offense is going to be um, good enough to compete. And the West is, you know, the tougher of the two divisions, Western Michigan and Toledo are, uh, the, you know, the two basically most talented teams in the MAC. Um, and they are in that side of uh, the conference. But, you know, Eastern Michigan, I think, you know, they, they've got multiple uh, running backs they can turn to, even though they, you know, did technically lose their uh, returning starter, or, or excuse me, leading rusher, I should say, uh, Juwan Hamilton. But they kind of had a three-headed monster going there. And, and uh, running back, they bring two of those guys back and, and definitely can. Um you know, run the football, I think, but uh, they might have the best trio of receivers in the Mac. Uh, Hassan Beydoun was an all Mac performer, you know, well over a thousand yards, playmaker type. Uh, Dylan Drummond, solid returning starter. And then Tanner Canoe, uh, you know, was hurt and missed a, a significant portion of the season last year, but came back and, and immediately slotted into basically a, you know, co-number one receiver role. Uh, and with those three all coming back, they've, they've got, you know, definitely some playmaking ability to um, give Mac defenses specifically 
you know, some headaches. And and I think that they can uh, win a few shootouts. They're going to be pretty balanced with those two running backs. I mentioned Samson Evans and, and Darius Boone. Um, if Taylor Powell, again, can, you know, give him a, a pretty decent performance at quarterback, and, and I think he'll have enough to work with that he will, uh, that offense absolutely can do it. The question is defensively. And, you know, they've, they've got some – experience they have one incredibly productive defensive lineman jose ramirez who you know listed at 295 pounds as an interior defensive lineman had 17 production points last year just an absolutely incredibly productive uh season especially for an interior defensive lineman but he had 63 tackles 12 tackles for loss six and a half sacks 31 pressures sort of the big name all Mac, you know, preseason uh, performer you would expect uh, Tariq Spates, pretty solid, uh, you know, linebacker to build around in the middle, but their secondary is even though, you know, uh, what five, six slash year, only one is technically a, a returning full-time starter. So uh, the secondary, a little bit of a concern, but as we've you know mentioned before, any game in the MAC is winnable, and the schedule I think sets up pretty pretty well for them. They uh, get Western Michigan uh, on the road, but early in MAC play, and Western Michigan's got to break in a new quarterback as well. So I think that you know works out timing wise. But then they also host Toledo and they host Central Michigan. So um, you know getting two of the three toughest teams uh, in the division at home is big. And then the other one, uh, I think the timing works out pretty well. If they can win two of those three, they've got a shot, I think, to to make a run. I'm not saying they're you know the team to beat or the favorite, but uh, Eastern Michigan, even though we are under, even though we expect only six wins, uh, as things work out on average, a lot of these games project to be one score games, you know, a field goal difference or, or less. Um, and they're going to be a lot of close ones. And and when you've got some coin flips like that, you win more than you lose and, and get some breaks going, you know, the right way. I think Eastern Michigan absolutely will be a factor. Not sure they'll be able to completely get over the hump and, and make it to, um, you know, the, the Mac championship game, but they'll be in the mix. Yes, Javier, it looks like they're going to flirt with this line here because, you know, uh, like we said, seven one possession uh-huh. games last year. Uh, they won three of them, which means they lost four of them. And they still ended up over 500 last right. year. Uh, so they're definitely going to be in this line. But this is a hard team to predict, right? Oh, absolutely. Because it could go one way or the other. Right now, this year. They, they either win those one loss or one possession games that they lost last year, or maybe they win all of them this year. You know, when, when you have a team that has so many one possession outfits like they did last year, it could go one way or the other. You know, we, we've seen it all across football. Those one possession teams are scary to bet on in the, uh, in the, in the year coming up. But I do like what Nick was talking about with their balance. I love their offense, the way that they, you know, they had a platoon at running back, the receiving core. They added Darius uh, Lasseter, and I'll get to their recruiting in just a second. They added Darius Lasseter from Butler Community College, who was, I think, a a big play guy. You know, had 37 receptions, but had 777, uh, 707 yards, excuse me, and 10 touchdowns. Uh, So definitely a guy who gets up the field. And, you know, when, when you have an average of 19, you know, yards per catch, 
pretty explosive. Uh, so I think that's going to help their receiving core, gives them added depth there as well. Uh, that's just going to add to the balance offensively that they're going to be able to show week in and week out. So I really like them to reach that win total. I'm going to say that they go over. Uh, I think that they have a non-conference schedule that's, you know, more than uh, that they can navigate. They play uh, Eastern Kentucky. I think at Louisiana isn't as daunting of a task as it would have been last year. Heck, even at Arizona State isn't, you know, I expect them to lose that game, but it's not as daunting of a task as it may have been in prior seasons either. Uh, with that university kind of being in a weird spot and, and, you know, who knows what that university even looks like come football season, let alone come, you know, week three of the football season. So, I like what Eastern Michigan can do from the re- from the recruiting aspect. Like I said, they were able to bring in a couple of transfers. Uh, they didn't hit the transfer portal too hard, only bringing in four. Uh, but I think ultimately the guys that they did bring in will ha- add to the depth that is very necessary with this team when you use as many guys as they do on offense. Uh, that just makes them you know, that much harder to scheme for. And in some ways, like I said, with Darius Lasseter, will make them more explosive. So we're going to move on to the double digits here. Uh, the very first team up in the double digits, uh, number 99, Arizona, the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, they played BYU tough in Jed Fish's first game last season, falling 24 to 16, mainly because I bet on BYU in that game. Uh, but they lost eight in a row to open the season before uh, beating a shorthanded uh, Cal team 10 to three. They finished one and 11 uh, in Jed Fish's debut. Their DK total is still low here. Three is their total. We have them at four and eight. So we have them over the three. There's a lot of excitement surrounding the Wildcats, particularly on this podcast, because we talk about them all off season. Um, uh, in this is Fish's second year. The schedule is tough for Arizona. So do we expect them to make a significant jump in wins? And, uh, you know, getting to four, unfortunately for Arizona would be significant. And, um, you know, our, our, our guys, John and Eric over on the ITL CFF podcast, Nick, think that they're better than ASU right now, which it would be uh, surprising. I think, you know, with the weird stuff that's surrounding Arizona state, that could be possible. Uh, but Arizona definitely headed in the right direction, even if the win total doesn't hit this year. Correct. Yeah. I, I think there's absolutely uh, plenty to be excited about for Arizona. Will they see a significant jump in wins that I, I don't know. I, I, I think the schedule might just be, too tough. I mean, we're, you know, I, I'm I'm glad actually that we're on the over on this one. I wasn't sure that we were going to get there. Um, but you know, the the schedule, man, the non-conference schedule, even in the FCS opponent they play is not even not even is it not a guaranteed win. We have Arizona as more than a touchdown or or right around a touchdown underdog to North Dakota state. And, you know, that's after they go on the road to play San Diego state, one of the toughest uh, G five teams in the country year in and year out. They host Mississippi state who, you know, sec team, very talented, uh, fairly unique offense in some ways. So uh, another difficult opponent and certainly one that Arizona will have a talent disadvantage um, at least as far as, you know, depth and things like offensive and defensive line, uh, it, it's going to be tough. You know, they very well could be 0-3 in the non-conference, but when they turn the page to Pac-12 play at Cal, 
you know, that's absolutely a winnable game. Home against Colorado, absolutely a winnable game. It's very possible they, you know, start Pac-12 play 2-0. Uh, and at that point, you know, the middle is very, very tough. Uh, Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, UCLA, all on a row. But Washington State, they're going to be on a similar talent level, if not, you know, a slight talent edge, get that game at home. And then I'm not sure I would jump on board to say that Arizona is better than Arizona State right now. But come November 25th, they absolutely might be. That Arizona State program could, you know, we've talked before, could go one of two directions. Sure. And one of those directions is basically quit. <laughs> and uh, by the end of the year, you know, Arizona's at home. They're uh, fighting for, you know, respect in in the uh, state, in the conference, but also, you know, they might have a little something to play for and maybe Arizona State's kind of already checked out. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, four wins is reasonable, even though we only have them favored in one game, even though that stats only model that we, you know, spent a little time talking about at the beginning has them actually as underdogs in every game. Um, there's, you know, there's some real potential here. Uh, if Arizona gets slightly better quarterback play and bringing in Jaden Delora, who is, you know, Pac-12 freshman of the year, uh, would seem to indicate that they they probably will. They've got a ton of depth at that position because everybody who you know played quarterback for them last year and they had three different starters, uh, they're all back. There's also a freshman quarterback that um, there's some excitement around and Noah Fafita, who uh, was a high school teammate with you know several of the highly ranked uh, prospects, true freshmen coming in that they are likely to you know see some playing time. Guys like um, uh, excuse me, who's the uh, the wide receiver four star uh, Tetrioria McMillan? Right, is a top one hundred level recruit, big time, big time get. You know, could develop. It's we not just transfers. Yeah, it's no, not just absolutely. transfers. They're getting recruits too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a top twenty five recruiting class, or or you know, close to that. Um, he was a top 100 player, uh, Kian Burnett, highly rated, you know, tight end recruit. Both of those guys were pretty conservative when it comes to putting true freshmen in the two deep or, or especially the starting lineup, but, you know, had to pencil those guys in at least as contributors, at least as guys who are going to, uh, be getting reps in week one and could develop into starters in year one brought in Jacob Cowling, who, you know, was, uh, all conference USA, uh, level receiver at UTEP, big time, big play threat. Um, their offense, you know, last year uh, ranked in the triple digits, 117th in offensive team performance. I think that there's absolutely reason to expect based on uh, talent alone, just improvement there, that this offense is going to be um, better. I'm not sure it's going to be you know, one of the best in, in the Pac-12 uh, immediately, especially since the offensive line, you know, three starters back, four guys who played 600 snaps, but uh, it only ranked 98th in O-line performance last year. But still, you know, I, I do think that um, this offense is going to be better. It's going to test uh, opponents more. Uh, Arizona is going to be in more games, um, but, you know, do have – some questions on defense. I think they'll be decent up front. Chiron bars, um, 
really, you know, productive, another productive interior defensive lineman, uh, kind of able to build that unit around up front. Jalen Harris on the edge, they brought in, uh, you know, have hit the, the transfer portal hard at the linebacker position again. Not sure exactly how that's going to shake out. That looks like a little bit of a, you know, question mark. It, it grades out decently well, talent numbers wise. Um, because some of these guys that they're bringing in, like Hunter Eccles, Anthony Solomon, uh, were four-star, you know, recruits coming out of high school, but um, not sure, you know, necessarily that they're um, going to be a, a, you know, that that's a unit of strength. Um, and sort of on the flip side, the secondary, very experienced, bring back just about everybody, even added a couple of other transfers, but you know, that was a unit that um, struggled a little bit last year. So have some questions on the defensive side of the ball. I think the offense will be better. I think they will be more competitive week in and week out. And I really like the way the team, you know, grow grew over the course of last season. They were competitive uh, more towards the, the end of the year. But the schedule, man, it, it is it is really, really tough. And if they do go 0-3, in the non-conference, which is not a guarantee. I mean, they they could beat North Dakota State. They could beat, you know, they could beat any of the three. They, I guess, technically could beat all the three. And, and then we're talking about um, making a push maybe for a spot in a bowl game at that that game against Arizona State at the end of the year. But uh, it's, it's just, you know, there is no automatic win. Even Colorado, even Cal, those are not automatic wins. Right. And so... Uh, to be able to stack, you know, uh, three, four, five upsets um, is just difficult, and it can happen. We've, we'll talk about a team here in just a little bit that had, you know, went from winless to conference champs one year to the next. Um, that I think is probably out of the question, but you know, go from one win to a bowl, it, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing we've ever seen. Um, so I think Arizona State, or excuse me, Arizona will be. A lot of fun. I'm I'm really interested, really excited to watch them this year and see how much they have improved. But you know, I, oh, I, I, <laughs> I, it's just such a tough not willing thing. to bet on them yet. I understand right, that. Right. Yeah. I, I'm I'm happy we're on. I've I've kind of been rooting for us to be on more unders in this part of the power rankings because like three shows in a row, I've been like, man, we're on too many overs. This one, yeah, but those I, are I all low like totals. It. Yeah, they are, are and it'll totals. even out. And and I wouldn't be, you know, super surprised if we actually end up with more unders than overs once all is said and done. But sure. this one, I'm I'm kind of okay with it. You know, the the number of games they're favored in, uh, especially in the you know stats only model, uh, that makes me a little nervous. But I do think this team is capable of winning three, maybe four. And, you know, if a couple of things click and, and uh, they get a couple of breaks, they they could be in the bowl conversation. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, you know, dragging a team up from the depths of college football is a lot like losing weight. You know, it's incremental. It takes time. You have to adjust your whole attitude and your outlook on everything. And uh, but when people haven't thought about you for a while and they see you again, they go, oh, look at that. This guy is losing a little weight, dropping a couple of LBs, you know, uh, putting on some muscle, all that stuff. I feel like that's what U of A is doing right now, where they're in the stage of they've been doing the diet for a year. They had substantial amount to lose, but no one really thought about them. 
And now when we see them this year, they're going to be like, oh, these guys are just about ready for summer here. Uh, whip that shirt off at the beach. You know, maybe not quite there yet, but they're on their way. So uh, that's how I feel about U of A this year. What do you think about them? Yeah, I think that's very indicative of what you look at when, especially when you look at them from a recruiting aspect. They haven't had a recruiting class this good since 2006. That's the last time they had a class that was in the top 25 uh, in the overall rankings, as uh, uh, according to 247. The last time they even had a, a recruiting ranking inside the top 30 uh, was, I think it was 2011 is what I saw. So, yeah, it's been a while since they were able to hit the recruiting show like this and genuinely come through with dividends, right? Um, so I, I think that's huge to talk about, you know, and actually, you know, it was funny. The guy who was coaching them last time that did this was Jetfish. Um, so I, I think it's funny that, you know, you look at this team and you look at what they're having to do on the recruiting trail, and it's amazing, right? Not only did they have an overall ranking of 25, a composite ranking of 22, which I think takes more into uh, account the the uh, the kids coming out of high school, and obviously a transfer rating of 27, it just, you know, it, it speaks to what they were able to do and the quality that they were able to get on both the, the high school trail and as well as the transfer trail, which is, you know, so important in today's game. Uh, to be able to do both of those, you know, uh, people kind of got on them for the gimmick of, of bringing Gronkowski to their spring game. But I think, you know, there's trying to build, you know, uh, in Arizona that, you know, what were you going to say? Scott, you, you got to look. It's not a look. gimmick. I mean, that's one of the best look. players in their team history. So every I just, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny you know, that I don't a school like Arizona gets make fun of that. It. I think yeah. it's because it's Gronkowski and because it was a helicopter and, you know, it was over the top for sure. But, I mean, yeah. come on, man. Like, you know, one of the best players in school history too. can't yeah. – yeah, he can't show up for recruiting. Give me a break. That's dumb. Right. The people Matthew McConaughey is at every Texas game. Yes. But, you know, yeah. Like, you know, so I, I use your resources, right? There's, there's no right. problem with doing that. I just think it's funny that a lot of people were like, wow, look at Arizona using their one resource. Well, if you're going to use the one resource, use it to the best of your ability. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. I, you know, you can't use the basketball recruiting guys here. So let's bring in Gronk. Cool. That, that's okay. Says who? I mean, right. I'd bring in my, Mike Bibby looks like a linebacker now. You got yeah, any uh, eligibility left? You could probably yeah. play end or linebacker <laughs> or whatever. So absolutely, uh, but yeah, like I, I love what Arizona is doing on the recruiting trail. I think that that they can build upon this, especially when you look at their counterpart within the same state. They're going to be able to get a lot of the kids in Arizona. They're going to be able to pull a lot of those kids away, um, and ultimately, you know, I think it's going to pay dividends down the road. Already, as of right now, they have the thirty fourth ranked. Uh, uh, recruiting class in 2023. They already have 17 hard commits as well. So there's, you know, they've got quality on top of quantity already in this class. Uh, you know, uh, the they had their best recruit of all time according to rankings in their 2022 class. Like they're just they're they're moving in the right direction. So yes, where I believe I agree with Nick, I agree with Scott. Their schedule is just a little bit too daunting for me to say that this is a team that's going to make a bowl game. The future for Arizona is bright. There is a light at the end of this tunnel, um, and you're starting to see the dividends pay off for a university that you know, two or three years ago was definitely in the dark ages. Um, so I, I like what they're doing on the recruiting trail. I think it's going to take another year before we really see it on the field. Um, also, hopefully you get a better non-conference schedule in 2023 because this one this year is hellacious. Uh, you know, next year's non-conference schedule for them is Northern Arizona and UTEP. So good job, schedule guys. You got it ready for next season. But this year's is just a little bit too hard. You know, I just don't, you know, out. and you're absolutely right. Outside of North Dakota State, 
I would probably have them un- in underdogs in every single game outside of that, and that's only because North Dakota's coming to Tucson. If they had to go up, you know, to North Dakota State, I would have North Dakota as the favorite. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be an interesting team. They're on the right direction. It might just be a year early. For oh, Arizona. fun fact. They have USC as their homecoming game. I think that's hilarious. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. And the bye yeah. week ahead. Hey. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> Nick doing an early upset alert. We love that. Uh, I would love to come back and say that Nick called that on this show. Uh, but let's move on here. Number 98, Charlotte 49ers got off to a four and two start, but lost five of the last six games, finished five and seven and falling short of bulgeability. Uh, the Charlotte defense fell apart down the stretch, allowing 38 plus in the final five losses. That is rough. Their DK total is four and a half. We have them at six and six. So another team we are over the four and a half significantly here, game and a half over on that uh, Charlotte could have one of the best offenses in conference USA. Nick, is there any evidence to suggest this Niners defense will improve enough to factor them into the conference USA title race? Because like we said, looked horrible down the stretch. Can they get better on the defensive side and uh, put themselves into eligibility here? It's going to be tough and it's going to have to be a significant step forward on defense because Charlotte, I mean, you know, basically one of the worst defenses in the country. They ranked 128th in our defensive team performance numbers last year, 129th against the pass. They gave up just a ton of big plays through the air. And, you know, they, they do have some experience returning. They bring back a couple of their, you know, best pass rushers. Uh, they do bring back, you know, three starters in the secondary, including both corners, um, a, a you know transfer from a, a couple of years ago who missed a significant number of uh, games due to injury last year, Devondre Robinson, you know, he, if he's back and healthy, will help. Um, but it's not like they completely remade the defense or, or the roster through the transfer portal, they added some pieces. Uh, Wayne Jones probably going to start at the other safety position uh, opposite Robinson. Um, you know, he played mostly linebacker at Kansas state. They tried to convert him to a linebacker last year. Sounds like he's going to be, you know, wants to be a safety and, and uh, at least early indications are we'll play that at, at uh, Charlotte. Um, they bring in, you know, Amir Sadiq who uh, did, did some good things. I mean, flashed at times uh, at Central Michigan last year, uh, put up eight production points, uh, which for a defensive end is, you know, uh, solid. Just just a, uh, a pretty solid year. He, you would expect, uh, will be in the mix for a lot of uh, reps, even though that defensive end position is is probably the strength of the defense. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly that we can expect – a huge jump. I mean, to, to, it takes what 30 spots for them to improve defensively just to get up to double digits. And you wouldn't necessarily say, as we're talking about teams here in the you know upper nineties of our power rankings, um, that that would be a great defense, but if they can take, you know, a, a step forward enough to get into the nineties, into the eighties on defense, is that going to get them, uh, close enough to win, you know, enough shootouts 
to be in the mix in Conference USA, which is a much different looking conference this year than it was last year. And it was, you know, already pretty wide open. Um, I don't know, but they do have one of the better quarterbacks in the country, or excuse me, in the, in the conference, uh, one of the most experienced in the country. I mean, Chris Reynolds has 35 career starts. Seems like he's been there forever. Um, finally in his, his final year of eligibility there, but a guy who, you know, can certainly, uh, run and throw can stress defenses in, in a variety of ways. He has one of the better wide receiver duos in conference USA to work with grant Dubose really kind of, um, you know, came onto the scene last year, somewhat unexpectedly Victor Tucker, uh, former all conference performer, um, you know, took a little bit of a step back production wise, but those two, uh, lining up next to one another. And there's some depth there as well with Elijah Spencer, who was a starter uh, or, or, you know, significant played a, a significant amount of snaps uh, last year as a true freshman. And then they added Nolan Grell, who uh, was a pretty highly rated recruit at Wake Forest. One of their more highly rated recruits in, in recent history didn't play last year, but is expected to, you know, see some pretty significant time. Another team similar to Eastern Michigan with, uh, you know, a, a pretty good duo at running back, some depth there, some questions on the offensive line. They did lose uh, one of their better uh, players up front, Dimitri Emanuel, who transferred to Florida State, but three returning starters are back. And uh, they've got you know six guys who played 100 snaps or more last year so there is some experience there and that unit was actually decent last year ranked 69th in our uh o-line performance ratings last season so you know offensively there are very few question marks um it's all on defense and you know i, I failed to mention that they actually uh lost you know all three starters in the linebacker group uh including Tyler Murray, who was one of their most productive uh, defensive players, he transferred out. So two of them uh, graduated, moved on, but uh, Murray, you know, specifically transferred away, transferred to Memphis. So it it would have been tough if everybody had come back. It, it will be tough uh, losing some of their more experienced players and not adding, you know, a handful of potential new starters through the transfer portal. They got two, maybe plugged a couple of those holes. Um, but right now, I mean, uh, you know, our early team performance projections have the defense, you know, improving from 128th in team performance to 125th. That's probably not going to do it. So I, I do think that uh, Charlotte, you know, you mentioned that this is actually um you know, an area where we do see a pretty big edge. This is the one uh, team that we'll talk about today that kind of hits that tier of where we disagree with the odds makers by, you know, plus or minus uh, a full win or more. And we're closer to one and a half wins uh, last year, you know, and no guarantee that we'll repeat that. But last year we were pretty close to 70% on those. So this is a team that I think, has the offense especially to compete for a bowl game if they just take a step forward on defense i think they will you know have a shot at a 500 record um and the way conference usa you know shapes up that 
could put you in the mix uh, to to make a run, at least be you know uh, competitive with that top tier in the conference. So um, I think Charlotte's going to be you know a pretty interesting team and and a team that at least the way our numbers shake out right now, we do see you know some value on to be a, a good bit better than what uh, the odds makers think as far as their you know win total goes. Xavier, what do you think? Can Charlotte get better, particularly on defense and, uh, you know, get in the mix here, or is this going to be a rough one? I want to say yes. I do. I want to say that, you know, they're going to make the necessary adjustments defensively to get better. But, you know, I've said on this podcast a ton, older garbage just smells worse. And this wasn't a team that too terribly went into the transfer portal to make themselves better defensively. They brought in three linebackers. That, that, that I mean, now all those guys could have one heck of a, you know, a year and could produce heavily, but that's not fixing your defense at all. And I, I feel like when I look at Charlotte, I, I do think that they're going into the offseason hoping that, you know, progression in an offseason, you know, gets their guys better. But more times than not, there's not a super jump as far as their defense is concerned. Now, their offense is good enough to where their defense just needs to have a pulse. You know, there there was a ton of games last year where their defense was just an inkling better, right? It was just not a complete turnstile. They would have won a game. You know, Louisiana Tech is when I look at, they lost 42 to 32. A stop or two wins you that ball game. Uh, you know, you look at the game against Georgia State, they lost 20 to nine. A stop or two wins you that ball game. So I, I think where their offense is really, really good, when you get into conference play and you play some of the offenses that they're going to have to play next year, I just struggle to find a way where their where their defense makes a big enough jump for me to be like, okay, pencil them in as a possible uh, bowl team next year. Um, you know, so I, I'll say no that their defense doesn't make the jump. I think their offense is still good enough to keep them in ball games. So I, I could very well be wrong by the end of the year, but I'm going to say they just miss out on bowl eligibility, winning just five games, which is still the over. I want to get that correct. It's still the over, uh, according to DraftKings, but I don't think that they're going to be a bowl team this year. I also think their non-conference schedule this year is harder than it was last season as well, going to a better Georgia State team, going to South Carolina this year, playing Maryland. It's going to be more difficult to navigate earlier on in the year. Uh, so I'm not a fan of them making a bowl game this year. Uh, gonna Looks like it might be a rough one uh, for yeah, Charlotte. Yeah. Let's go over to 97 Colorado here. Uh, following a convincing win in the opener versus Northern Colorado, the Buffs lost four in a row in six of seven. Colorado scored more than 20 points only four times in 2021, winning three of them. They did play AM tough, but that was when Zach Calzada went down. Uh, their DK win total is three. We have them at three and nine, but technically, you know, 3.36. So we are slightly over that. But Nick, you mentioned this year. Colorado is the only team in our 2022 FBS projections that is not favored in a single regular season game. What reason is there to be optimistic for the buffs in Boulder this year? Well, uh, you know, the, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that's a good start for Colorado there. <laughs> I, I, it's it's uh, it's a tough question, honestly. Um, Colorado is very similar, rates very similar. You know, uh, just in in the way our talent numbers go, um, rates very similar in a lot of these you know single game point spread projections to Arizona. Obviously, you know they're they're just two spots different. 
in our power rankings. Uh, but when we were talking about Arizona, you know, I had a lot to say about things that excited me. Recruiting, moving in the right direction. Um, seems like, you know, commitment to the program, moving in the right direction. Winnable games, uh, sort of how things set up on the schedule. And there's not very much of that with Colorado. Um, you know, recruiting, not anything special that I'm aware of. Um, some of the more winnable games on the schedule don't necessarily set up, you know, super well. Specifically, they have to go to Arizona. So even though we do have them, you know, ranked a, a few percentage points higher than Arizona, Arizona's favored in that game by, you know, nearly a field goal. They do host Cal. So even though they're still an underdog, that's a very winnable game. Um, you know, that that might be their their best shot. But some of the crossover games, pretty difficult. Have to go to Washington to play. Hosting Arizona, not great. Um, have to go to Oregon State, which, you know, Colorado beat Oregon State last year. But that's a little bit of a, you know, revenge factor uh type game there and and i think uh, oregon state will be uh highly motivated to to um you know win that game at home uh kind of right the wrong of last year and currently we have oregon state as a uh you know double digit favorite and everything i complained about in the non-conference uh schedule for arizona colorado you know, has the same type thing in some cases, maybe even worse because, you know, they don't play an FCS opponent, uh, even though, you know, Arizona picked uh, the behemoth of, of the FCS level, but they picked one of the, it is an in-state, you know, technically rival, um, but they are playing one of the most ridiculous non-conference <laughs> opponents you could pick <laughs> uh, to go to Air Force, uh, you know, different uh, style of offense that you have to prep for, um, different, you know, just just atmosphere, pretty difficult opponents, kind of a, a no-win situation. If you win, you're supposed to. If you lose, you know, uh, how could you possibly let that happen? So uh, they also play two Power 5 opponents, home against TCU to open, which, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about TCU recently, but um, I think they're kind of a sneaky uh sneaky good challenger in in the Big 12 this year and then at Minnesota a Minnesota team that just you know completely uh just bullied Colorado last year at home so you know i i really don't have much as far as optimism goes for Colorado they were among the very worst offenses in college football last year and they lost their best offensive player in running back Jarek Broussard, who transferred to Michigan State. You do get Alex Fontenot back, who was, um, you know, uh, was he was in, in 2020, I believe, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. So that's uh, exciting. But, you know, still, uh, no, actually, he was out in 2020. He was he was a starter in 2019. Um, so he's he's, you know, a solid player. Um, but losing the ability for that sort of two-headed monster is, is, uh, difficult. Their offensive line is decent, was actually a strength of the team last year, but they do have to replace their two best 
players on, on that unit um, who are out of eligibility in, in Colby Purcell and Kerry Kutch. So um, that's a little bit of a, you know, a, a mark against them. On defense, they've got a, a little bit more, I guess, to be excited about. It was at least a better unit last year, ranked 102nd in our uh, defensive team performance. But they lose two of their best players, most productive players, uh, Carson Wells and Nate Landman, because you know both of those guys are, are fighting for uh, roster spots as undrafted free agents in the NFL. They also lost Mustafa Johnson, who was you know limited last season, but um, highly productive uh, prior to that. The, the couple of years prior to that, uh, he's also out of eligibility. But they lose three defensive starters, three starters in the secondary to. Uh, you know, two of them transferred to uh, conference rivals, Oregon and, and uh, USC. That's Christian Gonzalez and Mikai Blackman. They also lost uh, starting safety Mark Perry, who transferred to TCU, that week one opponent. Uh, Broussard wasn't the only you know starter who left via the transfer portal on the offensive side of the ball. They also lost a couple of starting wide receivers. Demetri Stanley transferred to Iowa State and Brendan Rice uh, also to USC. So, you know, not only is is depth and overall roster strength an issue, talent as a whole a little bit of an issue, um, but they're losing their best players to, you know, just they're out of eligibility, some of them, and some of them choosing to to move on to uh, different opportunities. And, and it would seem, uh, I believe, yeah, everybody I mentioned who transferred, who was a starter last year, transferred to a team who's ranked – higher in our power rankings and in some cases significantly higher. So these are guys who, you know, played for a relatively, uh, you know, underperforming team went four and eight last year. Uh, but also, you know, aren't, aren't around to, to try to take it up, uh, to the next level, get this team fighting back for, for a bull berth. Um, but they're moving on to, you know, find a, a new opportunity elsewhere where maybe they have an opportunity to win more games. So, it uh, to me, you know, the the optimism is is lacking, and like I I said with Arizona, you know, I, I was glad we were on the over because there there was some things to be excited about here. Colorado, I mean, I'm I'm still a little perplexed on how these numbers actually add up to us being on the over uh, <laughs> because they are you know underdogs in every single game. There's just a lot of twenty three percent. 34%, 20% that just kind of add up to, yeah, you know, they, if they take care of business and win the games that they can win, win the toss-ups against Arizona and Cal, then, yeah, you got a shot because then you just have to pull an Oregon State-level upset of, you know, what they did last year or beat an Air Force team that on paper you've got a, a talent edge in that game who it sounds like air force is dealing with some injuries at some significant offensive positions at least. Uh, so early in the year, maybe the timing is right, but man, you know, a schedule that ranks sixth in our strength of schedule. So it's, it's basically everything Arizona has against it. Uh, but Colorado just doesn't have, you know, the positive buzz or momentum of an influx in talent. And, and so there's yeah. just, there's not a whole lot to be excited about right now. Xavier, are you on the same uh, wavelength here? Just n not a lot to get excited about for Colorado, or do you have a little more optimism? No, I don't. Sorry. 
I'm not going to be the guy that comes in here and tells you Colorado has a chance to upset a couple of teams in the Pac-12 and, you know, possibly be in that bowl mix as they get to the end of the year. Even if they are, they have a hellacious end to their season. Like, can we talk about the fact that they get Oregon, USC, Washington, and Utah at all of their last four games? Like, that's ridiculous. That's probably all four of them are going to be competing for the Pac-12 championship this year, um, you know, barring any injury or anything like that. And three of those teams and two or three of those teams might even be competing for a playoff spot. That's just have it outright. So I, that's horrible uh, to have to do, especially meaning that you have to be perfect almost in every other game that you play this year. Um, and I don't see that happening. You know, they're not conference schedule. TCU at Air Force is, at Air Force is not a, a cakewalk. It's not a guarantee either. And they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be pumped to play that game because that's going to be one of those, you know, state wars where, you know, who's the best team in the state of Colorado. So Air Force is going to be up for that. Then going to a, a Minnesota team that barring injury last year, probably would have been a ton better. <clears throat> so I just, it, it makes it very difficult for me to see a way that Colorado is able to put it all together for enough, you know, as Nick said earlier, stack wins in, you know, with their schedule. It, it's, it's hellacious. Not only the fact that, you know, I, I named all four of those games, all of those come after the bye week. There's no bye week to reset yourself, you know, to lick your wounds, to, you know, maybe Im implement new plays as you're going into this new stretch. Nope. They get they get all those teams after Cal, after Oregon State, which Nick talked about probably wanting, you know, some retribution after losing that game last year, which was a homecoming game as well. So, yeah, I, I just don't see it for Colorado uh, on the recruiting trail. It's been pretty rough uh, since uh, Mel Tucker left. Uh, losing a ton, but also not necessarily bringing in the cream of the crop talent that you would want them to uh, from the transfer portal. They brought in, they did bring in a four star and Tommy Brown from Alabama. That was nice. Uh, but outside of him, maybe you think, you know, a guy like uh, Josh Chandler out of West Virginia could be maybe a, an instant impact guy, uh, the linebacker, or maybe even RJ Snead out of Baylor can come right in. Uh, but it, it, I just, it, you're, you're pulling for straws. For, for Colorado to have a similar year to that, what they had in 2020, when they kind of snuck up on everybody. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just go, you know, be bluntly <laughs> honest in this situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Uh, the next team up here, uh, number 96, we're not used to seeing them this low, at least I don't remember them ranking this low uh, in the previous years. Northwestern, all the way down here, 96. And despite its low-scoring offense, they were in bowl contention. They started out three and three in the first half of the season, but they lost their last six in a row. They failed to score more than 14 points in doing so and finished three and nine. Uh, just a rough year for uh, the Wildcats. The four, um, uh, four is their DK win total. We have them at four and eight, but you know, once again, by uh, projection totals, 4.4 wins. So just over that four total. Uh, Nick Northwestern played in the big 10 championship in 2020, but went all the way down to last place in 2021. What is the more likely outcome for the Wildcats this year? Do you think they will be more likely to be at the bottom, uh, again, uh, or play in the conference championship? I think of those two options, you kind of have to go with the bottom and, you know, Northwestern absolutely can pop up and compete in the division. I mean, they are in uh, the Big Ten West, which there's a little more room to operate, you know, from the bottom to the top a little uh, quicker. So it, it shouldn't, you know, shock anyone if Northwestern just sort of out of nowhere uh, does 
stack some wins and you know make a push, get back to a bowl game, maybe even make some noise in the division. But you know, just the the way again that we calculate things and look at uh, the talent on hand and whether that talent is improving or taking a step back. I mean, yeah, they've they've got some exciting players. They have a sounds like a probable if not you know at least potential uh first rounder on the roster right peter skronsky is on everybody's short list for first team all-american you know first round pick uh he's he's definitely someone you can build around on offense evan hole coming back at running back was incredibly productive you know and cam porter who missed all of last year uh, was very, very good in 2020. So, you know, some, if you can build a solid offensive line around one of the best individual offensive linemen in the country with two really solid. And in some cases, I mean, you know, there's even more depth at that position at running back with Anthony Tyus and Andrew Clare. Uh, maybe you can build a, a really, really solid running game, put Ryan Holinsky at quarterback in positions where he doesn't have to try to, you know, go out and win the game through the year. Cause they're just not really built like that, uh, at least on paper. Um, yeah, that, you know, they can, they can play that similar to, to some of the teams we talked about last week, a Wyoming, for example, where you just play at a pretty slow pace, um, try to keep the game close, into the fourth quarter and give yourself a chance to win. Northwestern does that about as well as anybody else. If they've got the defense, you know, to, to be able to do that last year, they didn't last year. uh, Northwestern ranked 114th in our defensive team performance. That was one spot lower than their offense, which was one of the worst uh, in, you know, the power five level, at least they were 113th on offense overall. Uh, in team performance, their rushing defense was among the worst in the country, ranked 124th in uh, rushing defensive team performance. Again, they've got uh, some individual players who are highly productive. You can build around uh, for you know on the defensive line, off the edge. One one specifically, uh, Adetomuima. My apologies, uh, Adobaware. Excellent, excellent player. Um, I'm, I'm sorry I butchered your name, but uh, highly productive, double-digit production points last year. I mean, he's all over the uh, stat notes you know, that we put together here. Eight and a half tackles for loss, 30 pressures, four and a half sacks. Somebody you can really build around up front. Um, they do have to replace you know, 141 tackles in linebacker uh, Chris Virgin, but Bryce Gallagher, pretty solid. Uh, you know, running mate last year, he's back, add in a potential, you know, day one transfer in Wendell uh, Wendell Davis at linebacker, a couple of transfers coming in, uh, have the ability to start maybe on the defensive line. But similar to what we were talking about, Colorado losing some of their best players by choice, guys leaving and and transferring. Brandon Joseph was an All-American in 2020 as a true, uh, or excuse me, as a, a freshman at safety, he's transferred to Notre Dame. And so, you know, when when you're a team like Northwestern and the overall talent just isn't quite uh, 
you know, it, it, it just, it ranks among the lowest in the power five, just simply, you know, overall roster strength, they rank 73rd, they're 65 power five teams. Uh, they are 70th or worse on, on both sides of the ball, 70th on offense, 76 on defense. You know, you're sitting at that level, you recruit about at that level. Every once in a while, they'll pop up, you know, with a um, top 40 type class, but most of the time it's in the mid 40s to 50s, kind of at that low end. When you lose a few of your your best players and the depth just isn't quite there, it's it's difficult to you know really expect that type of team to overachieve their level of talent more often than not. And sometimes they do it. They did it a couple of years ago. They will pop up every once in a while. There's absolutely you know a reason why everybody respects the job that Pat Fitzgerald has done there. Um, but at least right now, I mean, this this seems closer to a last place team than it does uh, a first place team. And um, there's not, you know, again, unless they just change their style of play to just pound the football and, and they're able to successfully, you know, put themselves in position to score enough uh, by doing that. Yeah, I, I just don't quite see them um, making a significant step forward, especially you know with with the defense uh, playing as poorly as it did last year and and losing its best player and and some other uh, experienced and productive guys as well. It, it's there's there's not much that I'm able to see, you know, in our spreadsheets, in our projections, our roster roster numbers, things like that to suggest that we're going to see a big step forward. Xavier, what do you think? Do you think, uh, you know, Northwestern who has been better, uh, is going to be closer to a team that could make it to the big 10 championship or closer to the bottom of the standings like they were last year. I mean, that's tough. Can I just say in the middle? Like that's that's how I see the most likely scenario. Yeah. I just, if you had to pick one extreme or the other, it would still be close to the bottom. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go out on the limb and say Northwestern's gonna give us what was it 2019 where they think they surprised everybody and had a double digit win season or nine win season or something like that. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but they kind of took everybody by surprise. Uh 2020, they were in the Big Ten championship game. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh but yeah, like I just don't life really difficult for uh Justin Fields. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Uh yeah, actually that was Brandon Joseph's coming out party, if I'm not mistaken. Uh but yeah. Uh, I just don't see them stacking enough wins to be on the ladder, which is closer to an, uh, a Big Ten championship. Now, I will say that the non-conference schedule gives me confidence that they can at least start off the year pretty pretty hot. You know, they, they start with, you know, Nebraska, which who knows what Nebraska is going to look like. You know, we, we tend to be higher on them uh, every year, but I'm, I'm getting really cold to Nebraska doing really anything in the, in the vein of football as long as Scott Frost is, is donning that headset. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, and playing the game in Ireland, a lot, you know, uh, when you play a game like that, a lot of things can go in a, a ton of directions. Then you get Duke and Southern Illinois at home right after that. You also get Miami of Ohio at home. So three straight games 
at home, which are great for you to go ahead. And if you have lost at that point, uh, you get three games at home that you all should win. So it gives you momentum. Also, I love their stretch after their second bye week. So they're one of the two, they're one of the few teams that do get two bye weeks this year. But at Maryland um, and then at Iowa, I love that stretch right there. Um, and and I, I think that's going to be the only part of the year where I think they can absolutely rebound. Uh, and if they are to make a bowl game, they're going to have to win those two ball games at Maryland and at Iowa. Uh, because I do think that it's going to come down to one of the last two games of the year, whether they get to six wins, whether that be at Purdue or fight or against playing uh, playing the fighting Illini um, at home. So I think they're going to need to win out their non-conference. Uh, so that's Duke, Southern Illinois, and Miami of Ohio. Win that win uh, one of those games at Maryland or uh, at Iowa, and then ultimately compete at, at Purdue or at Illinois and win both of those. Or excuse me, with Illinois at home for them to get to a bowl game this year. On the recruiting trail, they were okay. Um, they finished 54th nationally, 48th with the composite, and then 84th with the transfer portal. They didn't dig into the transfer portal too much, but I'm not surprised. Northwestern is one of those few teams in the country that has an academic standard that makes it rather difficult for them to hop in the transfer portal and bring in kids at, at certain levels. I mean, heck, the kids that they brought in were for, were from former big, you know, academic schools. Ryan Johnson coming from Stanford, uh, you know, uh, Tyshawn Holmes coming from UMass, some schools that are massive, you know, that are big on academics. So, I will say this. I like what the direction that they're going in. They are getting better at recruiting Illinois, which is massive for them. Uh, it's huge for them to be able to keep some of that talent in Illinois, um, especially when, you know, Illinois isn't, you know, their counterpart isn't, you know, really dominating at all. Uh, you have to do that to be able to uh, stay in the middle and have one of those years like Nick put in the group chat where it says that they he, they went nine and five in 2018 and in 2017 they went 10 and three to be able to create a team like that you've got to keep these kids in Illinois and not allow the rest of the Big Ten to come in and just poach them uh, so to be able to get a, get a kid uh, I'm not going to try his last name but Reggie I think Nick tried it uh, it was a four star receiver. So he should be an uh, either an instant impact guy or a guy within a year or two definitely makes, you know, Northwestern better. So I like what they're doing by keeping more kids in the state of Illinois home, but I'm not going out on the limb and saying they're being in anywhere near a big 10 championship. All right, let's go over to Northern Illinois at 95. And after going winless in 2020, they blossomed into Mac champions in 2021. The Huskies eventually lost to Kent State to win the title, finished nine and five, played a one score game against Coastal Carolina in the Cure Bowl, losing uh, 47 41. Their DK win total is six and a half. We have them at six and six. So this is uh, a under six and a half here. But uh, Nick, NIU's defending Mac champion, they ranked second in overall production, fifth on offense, seventh on defense. So why are they projected to be middle of the pack in the conference in 2022 and ranked all the way down here, number 95? Well, uh, the way we calculate things, um, North, Northern Illinois was was one of the bigger overachievers last year. Um, they obviously you know won enough. They they won their division, got an opportunity to. Uh, play a rematch against Kent state in the Mac championship game. And they dominated that game. I mean, I, I had an opportunity to rewatch it um, yesterday and they just set the tone and, and kind of suffocated Kent state to the point where um, they were able to play keep away. And that was the recipe for success um, multiple times for Northern Illinois last year. And it's something that they probably will try to do again, 
this year is just lean on, you know, a deep group of running backs, uh, even though they did lose Jay Ducker, who was a um, thousand yard receiver or excuse me, thousand yard rusher. Um, last season, he transferred to Memphis. They bring back one of my favorite group of five running backs, actually, uh, Ontario Brown, who you know was a four star level recruit. Northern Illinois was fortunate enough to to get him uh, on campus, and he was a, an absolute big play, uh, just home run hitter for them. And a guy who you know who's over two hundred pounds, and and I think has the ability to be maybe the best running back in the MAC. But Northern Illinois might not have to fully lean on him like that, especially if Harrison Whaley is uh, back and, and fully healthy after missing some significant time last year. They're kind of a you know thunder and lightning type uh, duo there. And even then, you know, you've got Rocky Lombardi, very very experienced quarterback, um, twenty two career starts, did some good things throwing, but also. Uh, I didn't realize until looked at it again this week, ran for nine touchdowns last year. So somebody who, um, you know, can be productive on the ground as well, keep defenses honest uh, that way. And they've got some talent at receiver. I mean, Trayvon Rudolph um, had a 300 yard game, but he also, especially at the end of the year when Tyrese Ritchie uh, had gone down with injury, you know, stepped up and, and was a pretty dependable receiver, as well, Cole Tucker's been there forever, and and you know will be that second option. They added, I think, kind of a, a sneaky, uh, important transfer, Shamar Thornton from FIU, who hasn't played very much the last couple of years because of injury, but as somebody who can come in, you know, bring some experience, do some good things, and they're kind of creative with some, uh, you know, Swiss Army knife type guys. They had a fullback last year, basically fullback, you know, played running back, H-back, all kinds of stuff. Clint Rakovich, who, um, if not for kind of a freak injury during uh, workouts in draft prep, you know, probably would have an opportunity uh, to to get into a camp just as a, a versatile type guy. You know, is there somebody like him that they're going to be able to, to – you know, mix in, I'm not sure, but it does sound like they've got a couple of running back wide receiver hybrid type players. Billy Dozier had a, a big spring. A lot of people were really excited about uh, some of the, the reports for him in the spring. And then they added a, you know, similar type guy, return man, Casper uh, uh, Rukovitz. Uh, again, my apologies if I, I screwed that up, but a transfer from Illinois State at the FCS level um, who can do a variety of things as well. Might be a, a sneaky ad, uh, similar to Rakovich, who was an FCS transfer. They also made a, a pretty interesting addition uh, through the transfer portal at the quarterback position. You've got Lombardi. He's you know not even just penciled in as a starter. He, he's he's going to be the starter. Uh, but Justin Lynch, you know, a name very familiar to Northern Illinois fans, uh, transferred from Temple. Um, had had you know followed Rod Carey. To Northern Illinois, signed with him out of high school, but his older brother, um, Northern Illinois legend, and somebody who you know can come in, give you some depth at that position. He and Ethan Hampton, who we got to see a little bit of uh, toward the end of last year as well, started one game. 
you know, maybe Justin Lynch, who is a an athletic guy and, and can do some good things on the ground. Maybe they are creative in, in how they get him the football. So uh, Northern Illinois is one of those teams. Last year was a really, really good example of, especially on offense, you know, they're they're conservative enough that they are willing to try to dominate time of possession, run the football, play keep away, you know, get a lead, keep a lead, not do anything to screw it up. But they also have some big play guys who can, you know, take it the distance like a Trayvon Rudolph, like an Ontario Brown. Uh, and they had to win some shootouts because their defense was pretty uh, pretty rough at times, ranked 126th in our overall defensive team performance, 120th or or worse on, you know, both sides, you know, against the pass and against the run. And they're experienced, you know, in the secondary, there's probably more to like a couple of all conference type players in Jordan Gandy and CJ Brown. Um, they're experienced up front as well, but you know, that, that unit did not rate particularly well, 124th in our D line performance numbers. So um, it, it's a team Northern Illinois who could absolutely be in the mix again. Uh, I think that they are creative enough that, you know, they, they could certainly over uh, perform our current projections similar to what they did last year. Um, but they, it looks like are, are going to have to play a lot of one possession games again. Um, 10 of their 12 regular season games with only Eastern Illinois and Kentucky as the exceptions we have projected as one possession games. Nine of those, our projected point spreads are within five points. So Northern Illinois, you know, they were able to walk a tightrope a little bit at times last year. They were able to, you know, pick up some upset wins, and they were able to, you know, beat teams deservedly so, like they did in in the MAC uh, championship game against Kent State. But they don't have very much room for error. Uh, and they have to get a lot better on defense, and they're going to have to get creative in some ways on offense to, to fill some holes, uh, some big impact players uh, who helped them to that MAC championship season last year. So I'm I'm happy that we're on the under here. Uh, they absolutely could, you know, prove us wrong and be a a team that you know builds upon sort of the success that they had last year. But I think that. This team is probably uh, looking at a little bit of regression and you know, might not win some of those close games that they were able to win last season. So I think they certainly are a bowl team. They certainly are going to be a team capable of beating anyone else in the MAC. But I, I think I would rather be on the under than the over. And, uh, you know, that this is a team that just sort of strikes me as maybe a uh, sort of arrived one year earlier than expected. And, and that doesn't necessarily translate to uh, continued growth. You know, maybe you have to take one more step back or excuse me, one step back before you can take another step forward. And I think that right now it sort of seems like that might be the case this year for Northern Illinois for me. Xavier, your thoughts on Northern Illinois. Do you think uh, they can get back and uh, play for a Mac title again? Uh, well, here's my here's my thing. I was gonna say absolutely because I do I, I do genuinely believe in how they're how they'll use Rocky Lombardi. I think he's gonna be amazing for them. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I'm not doing any Jordan Lynch comparisons, but I think he's gonna be immense for them. You know, 
remaining atop the Mac this year. Uh, I do think that if he were to have a below average year, it's going to, you know, I think I, then I absolutely agree with Nick. It's going to be a tough year for them, but I do think Rocky Lombardi's influence on this team and what he may be able to do in the passing game, as well as with his legs. I love that Nick added the fact that he had nine rushing touchdowns because I think people forgot that at Michigan state when he was there, he kind of had to run for his life. Um, you know, so I, I like that addition that they made, especially with at Northern Illinois. Um, uh, and, I don't think that they're going to have that much of a fall off because of it. I think we see somewhat similar to a season of what Arkansas had with uh, Felipe Franks, where they may not be atop the Mac next year, but they'll be right there. You know, they'll still compete at a high level. And if they're able to win maybe a couple more one loss game, well, excuse me, one possession games, then maybe they have a chance of co- uh, of competing for a Mac. But I have them more so in the middle. Uh, and I think Rocky Lombardi just gives them that opportunity. Uh, when I look at their over under six and a half, I think I would go under just because I think they'll be just at six wins. I still think they'll make a bowl game this year. I don't. I think they'll be fine in that regard. Um, they definitely believe in the current roster that they have when you look at the way that they recruited, 104th nationally, 162nd in the transfer portal, which means they really didn't bring in anybody. Uh, they brought in tr- three transfers uh, total. Uh, out, they, they got Justin Lynch, who's actually pending appeal. Shamar Thornton, an, an athlete from FIU, and Isaiah Green May, a linebacker from Wisconsin. Uh, so they didn't, you know, hit the transfer portal hard. So they believe in the guys that they have. I would believe in them too after a year that they just had. But I think they'll kind of plateau a little bit. I'm not thinking that they're going to, you know, build upon what they had last year. I see them much more as a six, seven win team. But for me to feel comfortable, I'm going to say they're going to go under their six and a half uh, win total and go just at six. All right, let's go over to number 94, Kent State. And uh, despite a slow start and necessary change at defensive coordinator midseason, Kent State rebounded to win the MAC East, playing a bowl game. Uh, and um, they lost both of the MAC title game and their bowl game. They did finish seven and seven. DK's got their win total at five. We have them at six and six. So we're over the five for them. The Golden Flashes fell short of the MAC title in 2021, Nick. They lost QB Dustin Crum. They play a trio of P5 opponents in the non-conference schedule. So what do what do we think? Do they think do we think they're gonna you know meet this challenge again, or do we think they're gonna take a step back losing their uh, QB this season? I'm kind of excited about Kent State. Uh, they do themselves absolutely no favors in the non-conference schedule. Uh, FCS Long Island is you know maybe the worst FCS program in, in the country. So we actually have them as a 50 point favorite uh, in that game, but Washington, Oklahoma, Georgia, all on the road. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty rough, likely one and three start to the season. And sometimes that can derail you, uh, you know, can be a shot at confidence, uh, but also, you know, when you're playing teams that are bigger, stronger, and faster, it, it, it's a little bit, uh, makes me a little bit nervous that, you know, you suffer an injury that is going to be an impact uh, when you are hoping to compete for a division title and a conference title. And I think Kent State, even though they do lose Dustin Crum, who was incredibly, incredibly productive and, and you know, 30 game starter there for them. I don't think they're going to see a, a significant drop off offensively. And this is an offense. I mean, you know, traditional stats. Um, they were what third in rushing nationally and fourth in uh, total offense. The way we, you know, do that 
uh, we don't necessarily look at, at those just raw numbers, but filtering for garbage stats and games against FBS opponents only and, and you know, uh, conference, uh, you know, opponent adjusted, things like that. But they still rank sixth in our rushing team performance um, ratings and, and a top 40 offense overall. I don't think we're going to see a big step back. There were uh, times last year when I really wanted to see a little more uh, of Collar, uh, excuse me, Colin Schley, uh, the quarterback backup, um, you know, who backed up Dustin Crum last year. Kent State, to my knowledge, made no effort to, you know, go into the transfer portal to try to grab a quarterback to replace Dustin Crum. And, and you know, that I think shows a little bit of the confidence they've got in Schley and, and, you know, early reports, things from spring practice seem to indicate that, you know, he's the guy and, and has the confidence of the team. And he certainly has a lot to work with from a skills position standpoint. I mean, that running game should continue to be very, very good. Marquez Cooper, uh, all Mac type performer. Um, Xavier Williams gives them great depth. Um, and it goes, you know, three or four deep at, at that position. Dante Cephas broke through all Mac performer uh, at wide receiver. Deshaun Polk was a little bit of a, a disappointment from just a pure number standpoint. He was injured early in the year. Um, but again, I had an opportunity to, to rewatch that Mac championship game um, this week. He actually had an 80 yard touchdown call back for a penalty where he, you know, was just a, uh, seven yard slant that he took the, you know, took it to the house. Um, and so he's got big playability and you would expect uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to enter this year fully healthy, give them a, a pretty solid one, two punch there at receiver. That's going to, you know, really stress Mac defenses. I'm a little worried that they've got uh, quite a bit of turnover on the offensive line, but they were able to add a couple of uh, transfers there at least one you would expect will start and, and maybe two. Um, so I think offensively, you know, Kent state is, is in uh, a, a really good position to continue to be the, you know, top scoring offense in the Mac and, and certainly in the mix um, in a lot of the, you know, overall offensive metrics that we look at to be a very, very solid uh, offense from top to bottom defensively has been the issue there and you know last year they they did make a mid-season change at defensive coordinator um they made a, a pretty uh, i think savvy hire on the surface they brought in uh jeremiah johnson who had been at northern iowa at the fcs level since 2007 had been the defensive coordinator there since 2013 so northern iowa consistently uh, you know, an FCS playoff caliber team play in one of the toughest uh, conferences out there. They are, it seems every time I look, and I'll admit I don't pay uh, as close attention to the FCS level as uh, some other folks out there, but um, seems like they're, you know, always a top 25 team, often a top 10 type team and play, you know, when they do pop up and play in Iowa and Iowa State, um, they're always giving those teams headaches in, you know, week one, week two of the season. And it seems like it's always a, you know, 17, 14 type game. So I think even though, you know, Kent state is going to consistently be one of the, uh, you know, faster paced teams, 
going to be a, a team that can score quickly, force their defense to uh, play a lot of snaps. I, I think this hire of, of Jeremiah Johnson, based on his resume and his track record, um, makes me think that they're going to, you know, they're just going to be a little more sound defensively. And that's more of a hunch than anything. But but I do think that we're going to see a little bit of improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Um, we, you know, this might be a case where, uh, you know, they're they're not at the the very top of the of the returning production numbers. They're they're 60th in our defensive uh, returning production. But I think we might see a little bit more out of the guys they've got coming back. This this is a situation I think where you know some of their experienced spots and they bring you know three starters back on uh, excuse me at the secondary, two of their three starters up front on the defensive line. I think we will see some positive regression defensively for Kent State, uh, where maybe they don't have to score 50 points to win in MAC play. And I think the you know the schedule sets up pretty well. They have to go to Toledo, but they miss Western Michigan. They miss Central Michigan. Those are the three MAC teams. This is a mini MAC preview today, by the way. Uh, but those are the three MAC teams that we you know will not have covered yet by the end of the day. Uh, so the, the three best in the Mac that we think they only have to play one of them. That, that is, you know, pretty nice. And they get Miami and Toledo early, both on the road, but I think you'd rather play them earlier rather than late. And then from there, I mean, the, the last five games of the conference schedule, they're not heavy favorites, but we have them favored in, in all five games. So I think Kent state, even with the turnover at the quarterback position and losing one of the most productive quarterbacks that we've seen in the Mac in a while, I think they're going to be in the mix. And I, I think they definitely have uh, a, a good shot, not the favorite certainly, but I think they do have a legitimate shot to make it back and, and maybe try to get some revenge in the Mac championship game. What do you, what do you think, Xavier? Do you think that uh, Kent state, has some promise. You think they can get to this Mac title game? You think they can win the Mac? Like Nick said, it is kind of a Mac preview here today. It really is. I didn't catch it until he <laughs> talked about us being on our third team. Uh, but no, I, I think that this is a team that, and I will agree with Nick here, they got their tough games early and on the road, which means when you, you know, you think about the games that they're going to need to win to get back to the Mac championship. They're going to be most of the majority of them are going to be at home, you know, Akron, Ball State, Eastern Michigan. And they're going to be later on in the year where, you know, even when you play some when you play Miami, of Ohio and Toledo, even though it's a, ro- a road game with it being earlier on in the year, you might be able to catch them out. It's it's definitely a possibility. It's not completely out of question um, with how volatile the Mac is. I mean, this is a team that last year showed you that a slow start doesn't necessarily mean that it's over uh, for them, you know, and, and I think that that's going to be imperative for them as they are going to have one, you know, one heck of a, uh, of a non-conference schedule. So they just need to make sure that they, you know, don't get down understanding that they're playing at Washington, at Oklahoma and at Georgia. Like that's just something more than anything. You're trying to come away from those games, just healthy. That's it. Like, you know, you're probably not going to win those games. So you're attempting to go, you know, go there, play them. Heck, if you win one, congratulations. But more than anything, you're just trying to come back healthy and get ready for your conference schedule, which I think, like I said, they can navigate pretty well. They do start off with Ohio at home. They get Akron out at home. And then I do like the fact that they also have a late bye week. They, their bye week's October 29th and allows them to get prepared for those last four games 
two of which on the road, two of which at home, that they may have to win out or at least go three and one for them to win the Mac East again. Uh, so pencil me in for for them to be one of the teams competing for the Mac East this year. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to guarantee, I'm going to guarantee them in the Mac championship, but I think they'll compete for it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were, if they were in it for the second year in a row. All right, let's uh, move on here. Let's move out of the Mac and, and we'll talk about uh, USF here. We'll be back. Night, and not, we will be back. Yes. And very quickly, but uh, number 93 USF, uh, showed some promise, including one score losses to BYU, Tulsa, and UCF, but they still lost their final five games. They finished two and ten, and head coach Jeff Scott is three and eighteen in his two seasons in Tampa. DK's win total is four and a half. We have them at five and seven, so just over that four and a half. But Nick, our projections call for USF to win more games in 2022 than the Bulls have won in Jeff Scott's two years at the helm. Is this a reasonable expectation? he's he's increased uh the talent level you know he's he's added talent and that's always sort of been the thing at usf i mean i the very first year um you know that, that i started doing the the team profiles and projections and, and things like that um the uh you know usf has been on this transfer heavy uh what's the word philosophy they they've done it for a while multiple head coaches and and they are one of those programs where it's kind of built in um guys from the area four-star level players have an opportunity to go to big time power five programs it doesn't work out for whatever reason want to move back a little closer to home and you know there's a lot of talent in, in that tampa area and in, in florida as a whole and so it makes sense that there would be guys uh, coming to USF who come with those high transfer numbers. And in some cases, maybe, you know, those guys were a little overrated. Uh, it's certainly the way we project and certainly the way the, the record uh, has looked the last few years that that might be the case. But the overall talent numbers uh, look pretty good. And Jeff Scott added a you know, starting quarterback from the big 12 champion Baylor bears and Gary Bohannon. Uh, that's significant. Not sure. I mean, obviously Bohannon is at USF now because he was beat out for that job um, in the spring, but on paper, that looks like an upgrade. Even if you've got a returning starter, a guy who started as a freshman, Timmy McLean last year, uh, I actually hedged a little bit in our, team profiles because I didn't want the projections to get too out of hand on USF. So I, I do have Timmy McLean and, and Gary Bohannon, you know, slashed as the, the co-starters there to, to limit uh, their rating a little bit because Gary Bohannon's mid eighties and our, you know, power, uh, excuse me, our individual uh, player ratings. They have depth at running back, Jaron Mangum, double digit touchdowns last year, Brian Batie, all conference, you know, return man. Uh, Kelly Joyner has been a starter at, in the past. And then they added, uh, you know, one of those talented guys from Clemson and, and um, Michelle Dukes. So they're very deep there at receiver, you know, 
Xavier Weaver has flashed at times, put up six production points last year, which is pretty good for a receiver. And then they added more of those, you know, four-star talented guys. Aju Aju from Clemson has ties to Jeff Scott. Uh, and then Coffrey Brown, who looked like sort of the heir apparent there at North Carolina uh, to those highly productive receivers that they had a couple of years ago, didn't work out for him last year. Gets a new opportunity uh, to come in and, and, Looks like maybe a projected starter, but you know, again, there there were some guys who showed promise at USF last year, like O'Marion Dollison, who's a turning starter, and Jimmy Horn Jr., uh, who, you know, did some good things. Looked like maybe he could develop into uh, a future, you know, productive receiver. Um, but maybe just a little too early. He's he's coming in as a sophomore, so adding those talented guys. Mix in a Latrell Williams who didn't get to play very much last year because of uh, injury and, and Yusef Terry, similar, you know, guys who were in that last round of, of incoming transfers. There's a lot of talent there. This receiving core as a whole, you know, is a power five level receiving core, the way that we calculate things. Um, a lot of those guys are power five transfers. So it makes sense. This roster on the offensive side of the ball is fringe power five, uh, you know, rated 73rd in our roster strength numbers. They're 64th overall in roster strength. And that's because this defense haven't even gotten to the defense yet ranks 33rd in defensive roster strength. They've got a lot of talent uh, coming back in the secondary, a lot of experience, five returning starters uh, are back, including multiple transfers, you know, from last year, they again added more transfers in the secondary. Uh, Antonio Greer Jr. is an all-conference level linebacker, incredibly productive. He's all over um, you know, the sheet that, that we put together, 92 tackles, nine uh, tackles for loss, three sacks, you know, team leader in those categories last season. He's back. And up front, you know, was an obvious area where they thought that that they needed to improve. They only have one returning starter back up front, two guys who played you know, over 300 snaps, but I'm counting one, two, three, four, five incoming transfers on the defensive line. So they are looking to you know, get better and, and get more talented, get bigger up front. Will it pay off? You know, I'm not sure because as talented as this team looks on paper, you look at the team performance ratings last year and offensively they ranked 104th, defensively, 121st so we've got a team that in one way uh our numbers you know look at it how good it should be and it's a top 35 defense in the country one of the best in the american but when we look at how it actually played out on the field last year it was one of the 10 worst defenses in the country overall in team performance they ranked 118th so one of the bottom 15 teams on the field in the country and 10 losses. I mean, you can just look at the one loss record and, and see that this was uh, a team that wasn't good last year. So is it fair to expect, you know, a team to go from 10 losses to borderline bowl eligibility and maybe even make a run? I'm not sure. Uh, USF is a team that, you know, because they've done this for a half decade or more, um, putting on paper very talented rosters together that just consistently underachieve, 
Um, I'm starting, you know, they, they lost the benefit of the doubt for me a long time ago, but it, it's, you know, it's difficult. The way we project uh, 131 teams is, is the way that we were project them all. And so every once in a while you get a team, you know, we've talked plenty about the military academies. USF is kind of on the opposite end of that, where their talent level is higher, you know, or, or projects higher or uh, on paper looks higher um, than what it turns out to be on the field, you know, more often than not. So they're just a team that we're kind of out on a limb a little bit, maybe compared to where some other folks uh, expect we might look like geniuses every once in a while we do um, when things go right. And maybe they do, you know, finally break through and really do capitalize on that, um, you know, talent on hand and play up to that talent level. But so far, you know, it's very, very difficult to trust a team. It's difficult to, to expect any team to really break out and double, you know, their win total. But it's it's difficult when you've kind of been counting on it for, you know, the last two or three years and it is yet to happen. And you start to, you know, start to lose faith. And this schedule is really tough. It's a it's, you know, borderline power five schedule, non-conference, incredibly tough. They play BYU, Florida and Louisville outside of the game against Howard and the conference schedule. I mean, they play four of the tougher teams in the American, their first four games in conference play. Uh, and they play, you know, arguably the the top six, seven. T- I mean, that you know, it's it's a really really tough schedule. Um, the way it sets up in conference play, in non conference play, the home and away is not great. Um, it's man, it, it's tough. So I do think USF is an improved team on paper. Um, I, you know, I I struggle to. Uh, see that they really will prove, you know, really will improve on the field until, you know, until I see it, it's sort of a believe it when I see it kind of situation. Maybe it happens this year projection wise. I hope it does. Um, but USF is, has been a difficult team for us to project in the past. And this year is, is uh, no different. I think. Xavier, do you have uh, anything positive to say about USF here? Or yeah, Nick was like way too positive. Same? Yeah, no, Nick was way too positive. <laughs> this is a team that has the talent to go eight wins in that respective conference. And for the last two seasons, hasn't even won three combined. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I refuse to be any high on this team until they show me that the talent that they bring in will actually work. You know, the, the, it's nice to bring in, you know, a top, you know, 30 uh, transfer rating this year. You know, it's nice to bring in Gary Bohannon and, you know, as you, as you from, you know, Clemson and, you know, all of these guys who, who have either one made plays at the respective teams that they're lo- leaving, excuse me, or, you know, have upside where you think, you know, in a lesser conference like USF or like the conference USA, they're going to, you know, go crazy and they don't. And I can't put my finger on as to why I don't know, but, I refuse to put any stock into them until I see anything change at this point. You know, this is a team that hasn't gone over 500 in three years now. Uh, they haven't had back-to-back winning seasons in almost six years now. And I just, I cannot confidently say that this is a year that USF, you know, wins five games, wins six games. So until they show me, I'm under the impression that they can't do it, even with the talent that they bring in. 
All right, back to the MAC, number 92, Miami of Ohio. The Red Hawks finished 7-6 and six following a 27-14 bowl win over North Texas, but uh, were close. they had close to a special year. Uh, Miami lost three MAC games by a total of four points, including a 48-47 OT heartbreaker against Kent State. Their DK win total is 6.5. Now the Mac team we have at six and six, so we have them under that six and a half. But Nick, Miami looks like a legitimate Mac title contender, especially on offense. But can the Red Hawks rebuild their defense well enough to win the Mac East or the championship of the Mac all together? What do you think about the Red Hawks uh, for 2022? They lost a lot of production on defense. Uh, Miami ranks 120th in returning. Uh, defensive production and some of it is you know just sort of the natural uh you know out of eligibility guys who you know played a lot of football for a long time guys like sterling weatherford mike brown um who are in nfl camps will be cedric boswell also um but you know dominique robinson Converted wide receiver actually got drafted fifth round pick of the chicago bears so you're losing guys who you know, are uh, talented enough, played enough football, uh, developed well enough to get invites or get drafted into NFL camps. And then you also have to replace guys like Cameron Butler, Ivan Pace Jr., Cecil Singleton, who transferred willingly, Lonnie Phelps. Uh, and, you know, those, those guys up front are, I think, the biggest, you know, the biggest questions I have um, are those pass rushers because, you know, Lonnie Phelps and, and Ivan Pace were so incredibly productive. Butler too. I mean, this, uh, the, the front seven that Miami had last year was incredibly just good and productive. Um, you know, the, the numbers weren't always, uh, they weren't elite by any stretch. I mean, they ranked 62nd in defensive team performance, but they got after the quarterback. They made plays, uh, and the vast majority of those guys are gone. Uh, I believe you know they're top six in tackles for loss. Three of those uh, players who had thirteen tackles for loss or more uh, transferred out, and the top six are gone. Just you know, either through transfer or uh, eligibility. So that's a lot to replace. And then on the back end, I mean. You know, Sterling Weatherford uh, was, I, I believe, Scott, when when we were talking NFL draft, I, I uh, compared him sort of as a you know poor man's Kyle Hamilton, just a big playmaking safety, and he's going to be very difficult to replace. Mike Brown difficult to replace. Cedric Boswell. So they do have a couple of guys coming back, and and um, you know, one All Conference performer last year, Matt Salapek, who was listed as a defensive back, actually plays more of a, a traditional linebacker. It looks like he's going to be in that traditional linebacker role. He and Ryan McWood, who uh, missed all but 32 snaps last year, that's a pretty solid one-two combo at linebacker. They do bring a couple of starters back uh, in the secondary in Javon Rucker-Furlow and Jacquez Warren, but only one returning starter up front, even though they do have a second interior defensive lineman uh, who played over 500 snaps last year. Kobe Hilton joins the returning starter, Austin Ertle. Uh, but losing the guys that they you know, have to replace on the edge and losing the uh, just vast experience 
uh, in the secondary, man, it's going to be tough. And, and they're going to be in a lot of games. And Brett Gabbert, you know, might be your early favorite to be first team All Mac quarterback. Uh, Mac Hippenhammer is, is going to, you know, best name even... in college football, Hippenhammer. Love it. Exactly. And Mac, right? His name is yeah. Mac. Mac uh, in the Mac. That's right. Can't believe I missed Return of the Mac when we came back <laughs> to a Mac team. Yeah, you guys pointed out. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, even though Jack Sorensen was just uh, put up huge, huge numbers uh, the last couple of years and uh, is another guy who's going to be uh, fighting for a roster spot in a training camp this year, you know, I think they're going to be okay on the offensive side of the ball. They're incredibly deep at running back. Uh, they do get creative in, in the way they use a couple of those guys and hip and hammer. I think, you know, he was a, uh, about as good of a, a secondary option as you could hope for. I think he's going to be able to develop into that, you know, go-to guy. Um, they sprinkled in a couple of, you know, interesting transfers here and there offensively miles Marshall, you know, six, four big target transfer coming in from Indiana, I, I think has an opportunity to, uh, be a, a big time playmaker for them, but man, you know, they, they are having to replace a couple of guys and are, are trying to replace a couple of those secondary losses with some experienced transfers, Michael Dowell from Michigan state, Nolan Johnson from East Carolina. But I just, I, I think there are too many holes and some guys who were really kind of special finds, guys that they had developed really, really well. Um, man, it's, it's going to be tough defensively. I, I think that Miami might be the best, you know, most well-coached uh, program in the MAC. So that gives me a little bit of hope that there won't be a huge drop-off defensively. But I think the the these aren't the talent-level losses that we see often in the Mac uh, Toledo will have a, a drop off maybe like this next year. I think their defense is that talented, but these, these Miami defenders, especially, you know, up front and on the back end, uh, pretty, pretty unique for one year turnover uh, at the Mac, uh, you know, conference level. So it's going to be tough. Uh, they, they might have to win a lot of shootouts. They might have to get creative and, and, you know, some play calling might have to get a little lucky. Uh, with you know some of the the transfers coming in and and you know hope that they have been able to develop uh, some of the the you know two deep guys guys second on the uh, depth chart to come in because I I fear that the per, uh, the the personnel losses on the defensive side of the ball might just be too difficult to overcome I completely understand folks thinking that that Miami is uh, the team to beat in their division and a legitimate Mac title contender. But I'm, I'm nervous that, that those defensive losses are, are just going to be a little too much to overcome this year. And so I'm, I'm kind of glad uh, even though I, you know, I, I respect what Miami is doing. Absolutely. And I would not take them lightly but I'm I'm kind of glad that we're on the under six and a half here just because of those losses on defense. Xavier, what do you think? Can they overcome the defensive losses to uh, win the MAC, or do you think it's going to be too much to overcome? Yeah, I think it's going to be too much to overcome. 
you know, you look at their schedule last year, you look at how many games, not only did they win by, you know, a possession or less, but also just how their defense performed in those games. You know, they, they, there's not many games on their schedule where they gave up more than 26 points, more than, th- you know, 30 only once, um, you know, not many games, even in losses. They only gave, uh, excuse me, 30 only in conference, they only gave up 31 times outside of the Kent State game. I'm sorry. Um, you know, non-conference, yeah, but I'm not going to count that. You know, you look at the rest of the conference, you know, they did really well defensively. Heck, they even lost a game to Eastern Michigan 13 to 12. Like the defense was, you know, all about it last year. And outside of the game against Buffalo and Kent State played lights out. And unless you have an offense, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, that's just electric and can, you know, put up 40 points a game plus or 35 plus points a game, you're going to really struggle when you lose, you know, the the defense that they had last season. Uh, they didn't do I won't say they didn't do an amazing job replacing those guys, uh, but I feel like they could have done more of a job. You know, Nick alluded to their transfer, uh, you know, some of the transfer moves that they made last year. I I really am uh, excited to see what Corey Suttle does from Iowa State now going to Miami of Ohio. Uh, They added, you know, five defensive players in the transfer portal who need to be instant impact guys if they're going to have any chance of replicating what they did last year. Uh, I'm more comfortable going with uh, the under for Miami of Ohio. I think even if that's the case, they can still make a bowl game, which I would be you know comfortable with them doing. Uh, but I think personally, when you lose that much defensive personnel, unless your offense takes the next step, it's going to be a really hard time for you to, you know, be able to uh, replicate what you did the year before. Their non-conference schedule is, in my opinion, harder than it was in the previous season playing at Kentucky versus Cincinnati and at Northwestern, who I think, like a, and like I said earlier, I think Northwestern will be a, an improved program. Uh, so they're going to have to win the games that abs- that they're, you know, that they're favored in. And those toss-up games typically go to the team that plays the better defense. And I'm not so sure that Miami of Ohio is going to be able to do that this season. So I'm going to go with the under. That doesn't mean that they won't make a bowl game, but – I'm not really to go for them seven wins or more. Uh, number 91, the last team we're going to talk about today is Colorado State. Somehow the only team down here between 191 that uh, replaced head coaches this year. Uh, despite an All-American tight end and impressive pass rush last year, the Rams lost their final six games to finish uh, limp, really, to a 3-9 and nine, uh, record. Uh, they fired Steve Adazio and turned to Jay Norvell to remake this program. DK's win total has them at five and a half. We have them at six and six. So another team over the five and a half total, but Colorado State is in the midst of one of the biggest roster and scheme overhauls in the country in 2022. Nick, will Jay Norvell's transfer heavy squad come together quickly enough to get the Rams back to a bowl game in 2022? I think the specific way that he attacked the transfer portal uh, gives them about as good of a shot as you could hope for. Uh, You know, last year, Western Kentucky did the thing, right, where they brought in a new coordinator who happened to bring along his quarterback, his top, what, three, four receivers, uh, completely changed, you know, a a bunch of stuff. But there was a little bit of consistency and familiarity uh, with the offense because of, you know, the significant positions and and, uh, guys who had played there before, knew the coaches, knew all that good stuff. Colorado State. You know, Jay Norvell comes, brings his offensive uh, coordinator with him. Norvell has been the play caller there uh, regardless. But, um, you know, his defensive coordinator spent last year at Montana State, which was the FCS uh, finalist, I believe, right? Runner up, um, but had been on the Nevada staff prior to that. And then they bring in 
what uh, nearly a dozen transfers from Nevada, including quarterback Clay Millen, who is one of the higher rated uh, prospects that they've ever had at Nevada. Uh, running back Avery Morrow, two starting receivers, Melquan Stovall and Torrey Horton, um, brought in you know a couple of guys on the offensive line. I'm counting three uh, players on defense, including uh, you know at least one starter. Also brought in transfers, especially on the offensive line, because I had to rebuild that unit uh, from places like FIU and Tulsa, UTEP on the defensive side of the ball. They were able to bring in a, a few more P5 transfers, guys from Rutgers, uh, CJ Oniiche, uh, who might end up being a starter, you know, a former starter at Cal, a corner, uh, Chigize Anusim. A um, couple of guys who, you know, played a dozen or more made a dozen or more starts at the FCS level. So uh, I think the Nevada transfers more to the question, you know, will enable this Colorado state team somewhat similarly, but you know, not quite exactly uh, the same as Western Kentucky last year. I think it's going to help. I think that there is a little bit more, you know, the offensive line turnover scares me a little bit. And then you touched on it, but that pass rush that Colorado State has had the last couple of seasons, guys like Scott Patchen, um, just really, really impressive. Manny Jones, Toby McBride, you know, they they were among the better, uh, most consistent pass rushes in certainly in, in the Mountain West. Uh, but they ranked really, you know, pretty high in things like defensive line performance ratings. I mean, they were top five in 2020 and then they were top 25 last year 24th but only one of those uh starters is back even though muhammad kamara was incredibly productive uh, not technically a starter but he's a guy who's you know uh, over a 90 um in his individual player rating but yeah there's there's a lot of turnover but I think a lot of it is pretty positive. I mean, Clay Millen, I know there was a list that came out this past week that ranked him, I think, the 130th uh, you know, ranked starting quarterback. I disagree, even though he you know, only has 10 career snaps. I think he's going to be a pretty good fit and have a chance to be, um, you know, maybe challenge for an all-Mountain West uh, type season as a redshirt freshman. I mean, he's he's stepping into a situation where he knows the offense. He's already really talented. It's not, you know, I don't think going to see a significant challenge to that starting spot. And then he's familiar with some receivers. They bring back uh, two running backs, you know, Colorado who, who played significant, uh, you know, snaps at, at Colorado State last year, including David Bailey, who, you know, was a former starter at Boston College, uh, who it doesn't sound like is currently uh, expected to start at Colorado State, interestingly enough. But, you know, they're deep at that position. They also bring back Dante Wright, who was an all-Mountain West type performer before some injuries struck the last couple of years. Um, they have a you know couple of t- talented tight ends to choose from, even though they do lose Trey McBride, the All-American, and, you know, current Arizona Cardinal second round pick, uh, Gary Williams was pretty productive as well, had more touchdowns, you know, than, than Trey McBride uh, last year. But also sounds like Tanner Arkin had a, a pretty strong spring and, and is in position perhaps to, you know, at least be a co-starter, if not uh, the top tight end 
there for uh, Colorado State this year. So, you know, you you add, they do bring uh, their, their most, I guess, experienced group returning as a linebacker. Should be a solid group. We actually rank it as the highest, you know, the best uh, linebacker core in the Mountain West. Daquan Jackson and Cameron Carter, top 30 unit nationally. You know, you build around that unit with some transfers elsewhere on defense and with an offense that a lot of new faces, but a lot of them are very familiar with the goings on, with what uh, the coaching staff wants to do. If that offensive line comes together, and that is a big if, um, but if that offensive line comes together and plays at, you know, a average uh, level, then I think this Colorado State team um, will absolutely be in the mix for a bowl game and perhaps, you know, make a push into that top uh, top half of the Mountain West. They've always been a talented program. They have underachieved talent, uh, you know, the last three seasons. But this roster is not completely bare, even though they do rank so low in the, in the triple digits and overall returning production. And a big part of that is on the offensive side of the ball. I think that they have the answers to fill in a lot of those, you know, missing pieces or or pieces that they had to replace. Um, I think this Colorado state team is probably going to improve in in its win total. And, you know, the odds makers expect that they went three and nine last year and the, the over unders at five and a half, but we have them favored in seven talent edges in seven, even the stats only model, you know, which does take into account uh, at least a third of it uh, is what Colorado state has done the last three years, which has been, you know, an underachieving team that model favors them in six. So um, if they hit those expectations and I think there's a chance they could even, you know, be a tiny bit better than even we project, you know, this Colorado state team could be one of the more improved teams in college football from a, a win loss record standpoint. I mean, this might be a team that could, if everything kind of clicks and, and they get a couple of breaks, flip its record. They could go from, you know, three and nine to nine and three. And that might be a little too bullish, but I do, ex- you know, think that the expectation of getting to a bowl game is, uh, you know, very realistic for, for Colorado State this year. Xavier, what do you think about the the Rams here? Do you think Norvell can get them, you know, into bowl contention his first season, or do you think it's going to take a little bit longer? I'm not as optimistic as as maybe Nick is. You know, I, I do think that the quarterback position is still a, a question until I see it. Um, but I will say, I do like their schedule. I'm not a I, I'm a huge fan of their non conference schedule. Let me get that out first. Sacramento State, Middle Tennessee should be absolute wins. Washington State isn't uh, necessarily a, a throwaway game. That, that game can be very competitive, and we won't talk about the game in Michigan. When they get into the conference, I absolutely believe that they have what could be a, a really confidence-boosting stretch in their first three games. At Nevada, Utah State, Hawaii, both Utah State and Hawaii are both on uh, both at home, excuse me. That could build a lot of confidence, especially for a team that may go two and two, even possibly three and one in their non-conference. You know, that's a team that could be six and one when you finally have to see Boise State and uh, in San Jose State uh, on the road in back-to-back games. The confidence may be there at that point, and if that's the case, and they if they've gotten it rolling like that, then I'll agree with Nick. Then I'm then I'm more than likely to you know, or more than willing to go out on a limb uh, at that juncture. However, I gotta see it. 
I got to see what they're able to do with this overhaul. If it, if they hit the ground running, I understand how much, you know, how little turnover they have, especially when they, you know, when you look at the transfer portal that they had, when they brought in so many guys that are going to be familiar with the team itself, but I still got to see it. I still got to see it gel and, and mesh the right way before I'm ready to be like, yeah, Colorado state can compete at, you know, in this conference at a, at a high level. So as of right now, without without being able to have seen it yet, I'm confident with them going over just to a bowl game, maybe seven wins total. That's what I'm confident with. So I'm still going to go over, uh, but I'm not going to you know go out and say that this is a team that could compete at the highest level in, within this conference just yet. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week. And uh, the team previews continue next week when we go uh, 90 to 81. And uh, we'll probably have even more of a mix of over and unders uh, next week, probably be pretty even. Uh, but, you know, starting from the bottom, we're going to see a lot of overs because they are low wind totals, according to the Vegas sites. But that's going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Bogdan Sports. You can follow Nick at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier at Xavier underscore Trist, C-H-E. And we will see you next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.